Today we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, the last time we looked at the beginning of this second letter to Timothy, and uh, before any letter or any book of the Bible, I always give you an overview. Uh, things have changed. The Apostle Paul had a lot of freedoms in his first imprisonment. Uh, his second imprisonment, a few years later, things have changed. Nero's on the throne, and he's uh, blood, bloodthirsty mad against the Christians. So uh, the Apostle Paul knows in his spirit that he's going to die. So this is a strong letter. In context, when we read this, you know, there's a lot of exhortation, there's a lot of challenges, there's a lot of commands, uh, because Paul knows his death in his spirit is, is, is he, it's imminent. And Timothy needs to understand because he has a calling. He is a pastor. He's got to continue without his mentor. And the Apostle Paul gives seven illustrations here that we're going to cover in this chapter of a good minister. Uh, we can look at the steward, the soldier, the athlete the farmer, the workman, the vessel, and the servant. We're going to go into them. Uh, understand as well, for those of us that were listening to this, um, it's not just for leadership. There's a lot of good applications that any believer can take from this. As a matter of fact, a good idea is, as we go through each example, to in our mind say, gee, where do I fall in over there? You know, how do I rate according to what the Apostle Paul is saying about these examples? So all of us, uh, we can take some of this and apply it to our lives. Verse 1, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. First uh, verse, again, a lot of Christians are, are compromising. They're fleeing. They're scared. Or maybe that might be their first reaction, and then they come to their senses. Uh, but Paul's saying to Timothy, you have to be strong. You have a calling. I remember I laid my hands on you. I remember what the Spirit told me about you. You can't do what the rest of them are doing. You've got to hang in there. I'm not going to be there much longer. I'm not going to be here. My time on earth is ending. But be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a curious statement. Because why is that difficult at times? Well, for humans, for us, even as believers, sometimes it's easier to rely on an earthly relationship, on a human relationship. Somebody you can call and, and cry your eyes out to and, and they're answering you. Sometimes we'll go to a human relationship before we go to God. But human relationships are limited. You see, the truth is, we want to live by sight. But the Bible says we need to live by faith and not by sight. I would like nothing better for than to God. He didn't even have to come to me personally. I'm not worthy. To send dispatch an angel today at the end of the day and let me know what my five-year plan is going to be. I'd like that. But that's not reality. So there's an element of... of you know, that the grace, the grace is what saved us. And the grace is also what gets us through the hard times. Again, human relationships are limited too. And the things that you heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, this first example is really the steward. What's a steward? Well, a steward has been entrusted with valuable things that are not his own. Now, God has ordained church leadership in context, and the only way for it to continue is for it to be passed on. Discipleship, mentorship, that's important. Uh, over the last few months, I've been reading a lot of articles, whether it's politics, the church, um, you know, society in general. They're saying, where have the great leaders of old gone? Sometimes our country seems like these days that in many areas it's rudderless. 
Where are we going in the United States? What's our direction? However, if in the church these truths, these important tenets of our faith are not passed on, the church dies. And I've read these statistics to you about a net loss in the pastorate. Yeah, this little church is springing up here and there, but there's a net loss in the United States and Europe. More are leaving the, the pastorate than are coming in. Something to look at. There's a sub-theme here, and that theme is obedience. Paul expects Timothy to be obedient to his words. Now, just to go back to last weekend, which the, we, had the, um, we had a guest speaker, we were on the couples retreat, and we were speaking about, or we covered the book of Ruth. Now, Ruth, because of her obedience, had this storybook ending, because she was obedient. Right? She was told to do certain things, she did it, and things worked out for her. And I guess we could ask the question, where do we fit in as stewards? Are we obedient? Three, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So the second example here is soldier. How many of you know soldiers? Spouses, kids, so quite a few of you. I know soldiers as well. They train. They endure hardships. They don't, you know, once they get into boot camp, the world kind of is, is shunned or pushed away because they've really got to focus on their training. So focusing on the training, not focusing on the world, why? Because when the battle needs to be fought, they need to stay alive. They need to learn how to keep their head down. They need to learn how to play together with their teammates, how to rely on each other, how to be resourceful. So that's why the soldier needs to be serious about training, because if he or she is not, it could mean death for them. Now, by the same token, the Christian, when the Christian gets entangled in this world, we become too weak to fight the spiritual battle. What great analogies the Apostle Paul uses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the soldier is to please his superior. Well, we have a superior as well, and our superior is way superior than any other superior on the earth, right? And that's the Lord. Do we work to please the Lord? Isn't this something to look at? There was a quote, and it's been in different formats, and it's been changed over the years, so I'm not really sure where it originated. But this one says, the problem with modern Christianity is that we're fighting on a battleground, often with a playground mentality. How true. Verse 5. And also, if anyone competes in athletics... He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Third illustration is the athlete. No prize, no crown, unless A, they compete. And they compete according to the rules. Now that word or that phrase compete uh, in athletics is actually one word in the Greek which was transliterated to the English and it's athleo. So we get our word athletic from this particular Greek word. We compete in this world. Sometimes we compete for sports. I, I still like, you know, I, at my age, I'm still able to move and, and do things, and I like to be physical. So I enjoy working out and doing things outside. All right? Some of us will uh, want to rise in our, our, our businesses, our companies, maybe get a promotion. We compete for a, pro a promotion. But what about the things of God? What about the things of God? You see, all those other things are not bad, but they're temporal. They only last as long as we live. 
And, and that's, that's temporal. However, the crowns that we get, the prizes that we get, last forever, the spiritual crowns. Some will barely make it to the proverbial finish line. Some have the attitude, well, I just, you know, this whole Christian thing, I like that. You know, I don't want to go to hell. Who wants to be judged? That's great that Jesus did that for me, and, and I'm interested. But some have the attitude that they just want to make it to the finish line, and that's really not what we're taught in the Scripture. I mean, think about the Super Bowl, right? These athletes, is there really an off-season? Think about it. There really isn't an off-season. They rely on their physical prowess. They have to maintain their strength and their speed and their, their brains in, in you know, working out those plays. Right? They work hard their whole careers to stay in that physical shape so they can compete. Where do we rate as Christians? Now, let's just, I just want to raise my hand so nobody feels really bad about this. I'm convicted when I read this. You know, I think that I could do a better job. You know, I think that the wise person realizes that they can always change for the better. Amen. Amen. Verse 6. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crop. So the fourth illustration is the farmer. Hard work. That word means to either feel fatigue or to be wearied. Now, I don't know about you, but I never met a lazy farmer. Have you? You can't be. The two of them are, it's an oxymoron, lazy farmer. Because if you don't abate the weeds and you don't till the ground and you don't pay attention to your crop, you don't pay attention to taking care of it, no food. You starve and then you can't even sell anything to make a living. So there's, there's no such thing, you know. However, if some farmed the way they serve the Lord, they would starve. It's something to look at here. Now these crops and this fruit, the farmer is the first to partake. Now, let's look at this in a spiritual sense. Maturity as a believer. To see others come to faith in Jesus Christ. To see marriages restored. To see some kick addictions and things of that nature. I will tell you this. If this applies to those of us in ministry, I'm eating that fruit and I'm saying, boy, this is delicious. When I look around at this church and I see the things that are happening... I, I'm loving it. Spiritually, I'm getting to partake of those crops, of those fruit. And, and everyone can be involved in that. Right? Now, let's just look at the Christian in general. Let's just go away from ministry for a minute. Last weekend, when I wasn't here, uh, you know, I heard some great teaching by Pastor Sam Turner and the Turner family and what they've been through. Multiple forms of cancer. Multiple brain injuries. If you heard the testimony, it'll blow your mind. And they are just as excited and just as on fire for the Lord as they've ever been. So here's an example of someone in general, a family who's been through so much trial, and they continue as that farmer to plow, to plow, to plow. They know that this is what they need to do on this side of eternity. And the longer we do that, it's amazing how much fruit that we can partake of. Seven. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory." My gospel, you, Angelion, 
He took ownership of the gospel. You see, the gospel is the key to saving souls. Why? What was the thing that really sealed the gospel for us? That we know it's true. That Jesus rose from the dead. I'm convinced that Jesus rose from the dead, and therefore, I want to spread it to others. The gospel is real. Now, what is the gospel? You know, we hear the word gospel many different times, and sometimes we think of gospel music or gospel, you know, names of churches and such. But the gospel is the fact that that man sinned, and that's the bad news. We've been separated from God eternally. Even when we become believers, we're st- we still sin. Right? That's, that's problematic. And sinners can't be in the presence of God. Certainly we can't be in his heaven. So God so loved the world, John 3.16, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus. Right? That whosoever would believe on him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's the gospel. And Jesus said, you'll know all the things that I said are true when I rise from the dead. That's going to be the seal of authenticity. And then he had a, a, what is it, a 40-day ministry on the earth, resurrected. That's why when the neuronic persecutions came and all those Christians were slaughtered, that the church kept growing. You scratch your head and say, that doesn't make any sense. But Jesus rose from the dead. My gospel, I will tell you this, me personally, I take ownership as well. I love that gospel. I want to I hold it and take it for my very own. We can claim ownership for that gospel. Now, make no mistake, the gospel is the reason the Apostle Paul goes on, is that he suffers. And make no mistake, because Jesus rose from the dead, that the Apostle Paul could defy the authorities, could stand firm. He could have said, hey, Nero, listen, I got a little carried away. You know, I promise I won't preach the resurrection. Forgive me for all this stuff. I'll even go in and I'll infiltrate, infiltrate all the churches and sell them out. If you just let me out of this prison, you don't kill me. He wasn't going to do that because he saw Jesus rise from the dead. He knew Jesus rose from the dead. So why would he do that? There was a better life waiting for him. Endurance is important. He says, therefore, I endure and we must endure. Because the resurrection is real and it has the power over life and death. What will we work so hard for here on the earth, but quit so easily when things get tough in the spiritual realm? These are questions we have to ask ourselves. God hasn't called us to take the easy way out. He hasn't called us to have an entitlement mentality. Maybe that's what our culture is turning into, but we need to be swimming against the current. We need to endure, sometimes suffer if necessary. Hang on, because the benefits are there and it's worth it. Paul's uh, attitude was he's bound in prison, but God's word, he says, will never be bound. They can kill me. They can take off my head. Wrote half the New Testament. Doesn't matter. Christianity, he knew before he died that it wasn't going to squelch Christianity because of the resurrection. 11. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. If you look at these, they're seemingly paradoxical statements. They seem to contradict each other. But they're also conditional statements. If this happens and these conditions are met, then that will happen. So let's go through them. Number one, if we die with him, we will live with him. I want to turn, turn with me to Romans 6. Romans 6. Starting with verse 3. 
The Apostle Paul says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? How many of you have signed up for that? Oh, Pastor Joe, I remember you dunking me in the water a few months ago, but I, I don't know. We actually explain this before baptism. So we get the full picture. We're to be baptized into his death. He says that, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Here's another uh, image. Buried with him. Who wants to be buried? I didn't sign up for this. Well, look at the imagery here. Right? We, were, we die with him. We were buried with him. But when we are raised up from the water, it's symbolic. In our hearts, there has to be newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also should be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. When we get baptized, this is what we're saying to the world, to our Lord, to ourselves. I don't want to be a slave to sin anymore. That was my old life. And as a new believer, you, you, sometimes you're walking in two worlds for a while until you really understand to get your, your, your spiritual legs and they grow strength in them and you can walk on your own spiritually. Right? But we don't have to walk in, uh, as slaves of sin anymore. We've been freed from that. God gives us that freedom. And even if we do mess up, there's forgiveness and restoration. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Dying. Well, that's a scary prospect for all of us, I believe. Die to the flesh. The truth is, this is from the inside. This is a change that has to take place from within. Can't really call on other people to help us out. Can't do a, a program that's going to work it out. This is a, a, a permeation from the inside and a radiation to the outside. The second one, if we endure, if we suffer, we will reign with him. Now, this is from the outside. This is from the things that happen to us that we can't control. The world system, others, right? satanic attacks. No cross, no crown. I've seen that um, expression. That's pretty good. How many of you are looking forward to struggles and hardships? How many of you are looking forward to suffering? I'm not raising my hand. But it, this is a, a, an occupational hazard, so to speak, of the Christian life. Now understand this, that God doesn't allow us to suffer for no reason. Some have a, the wrong conception. Oh, you Christians, gee, you know, you become believers and you're always whining about something that happened to you, some attack. Okay, it's not like we, we, we come to the Father and we're reconciled through Jesus. And he says, oh, welcome, my son. Welcome, my child. Now let me torture you for the next 20 years. That's not scriptural. What happens is that we were friends with the world and enemies with God. Then when we became friends with God, the world decided, we don't like you anymore. We don't like the conviction. We don't like you quoting scripture. We don't like you telling us that our lifestyle is, is not pleasing to God. We don't like you going against the flow, so you become a target. Satan was cool when you were on his side, when you were not born again. But once you're born again, here's where the suffering comes in. Now, God will use those, those um, instances to grow us, to stretch us, to build our character. He will take anything that's perpetrated on us in a bad way, and he will take it and turn it to good. That's what he does. You know, 
he can take, um, it's like that song goes, the candy man can take anything and turn it into something good, right? But he can take anything bad and turn it into something good. And, and we love that about him. The third point, if we deny him, he will deny us. Now, Jesus did say that if we deny him before man, that he will deny us before the Father and the angels of heaven. That's a promise. But if we confess him before men, he will confess us before the, the Father and the angels of heaven. Now, Peter did deny Jesus. And let me give you some hope here, because we will have our moments. Peter had his moment. He denied the Lord uh, when his trial was going on. And he, he denied him vehemently and vigorously to the point where he called down, uh, it says, curses upon him. You know, I do not know the man. The third time. However, he repented and then he confessed the Lord and, and we know where he is now. But Jesus quoted Isaiah to the religious leaders where God says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now, we can also deny Christ with our lifestyle. We can say we believe in God all we want. Make no effort to change. Make no effort to not compromise. Make no effort to stop conforming to the world. It's lip service. So Jesus quoted Isaiah. That's a good scripture there. The fourth point is, if we are faithful or if we are faithless, he is faithful. He cannot deny himself. Here's another promise. Our failures will never hamper God's plan. And when we really mess up, and we do, we're humans, we mess up. We try. We sometimes get caught up in pride. We get caught up in a lot of things. We think that we prayed about something, but we really didn't because our motives were bad. And we fall and we fail miserably. And sometimes in the arena of trying to bring people to Christ. But God is always there. We're faith, faithless. And he, he puts his hand out and he says, you fell. <laughs> Here's my hand. Take it. Let's try it again. Now this time, watch me. You know, and do it with me and not ahead of me. So these are some good promises here. 14. Remember, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the fifth point is the worker example. Now, don't allow striving over words. And we, we talked about this a few Sundays back, the logomachy, the just nonsensical discussions about semantics. And some in the church get caught up in this. Just ridiculous questions, ridiculous little insignificant things that uh, people in church argue about. And he's saying, all it does is mess people up. Don't even bother with that stuff. We can focus so much on semantics but lose the entire message. We can get so caught up in, in little things, nonsensical things, that no one really has the answer to, and we forget about loving people and bringing them to Christ. So that's certainly something we don't want to do. He says to be diligent, present ourselves approved to God, to be tested, to be tried, faithful in the little, faithful in the much. Now, I promise you that if you give, if anyone here has decided, you know what, I'm really encouraged by this. I do want to really give a little bit more of an effort. I really want to serve the Lord. I really want to partake of the fruits. I really want to see what he's going to do in my life. I promise you that you won't be disappointed if you do it with your whole heart. I would tell you from my perspective, I can't download everything that I've seen and experienced. You know, we don't have that ability yet. But the truth is that it's, I'm not disappointed at all. I'm loving this stuff. This is awesome. Some will be ashamed as leaders. And some will be shamed in general. 
And that's certainly not what we want, according to what he's saying here. Verse 15, he says, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, in the Greek, this means to make a straight or a precise cut. This is a picture of a worker plowing straight lines in their field. You know, not doing sloppy and shoddy work. I'll give you another example. This is how much God is concerned about his word. Let's say that you go to, and, and I've had this happen a few times, different surgeries, you know, you're laying there. On the, it's freezing cold in those operating rooms. Let me tell you something. It's like you can't feel your fingers. They strap you down, and they got all the tools. It's a little scary. They put the mask on you. They tell you to count back from 100. By the time 98, you're out. Imagine if there's a, a, a problem that you have, some tumor or something in there that they have to get out, and you're expecting to be or to see a scalpel. But instead of seeing a scalpel, the surgeon brings out this. <laughs> For those of you listening, this is a Makita chainsaw. And if any of you were sleeping, I'm sure you're not now. <laughs> I love this thing. I've been cutting up wood for 11 years. I live out in the, in the woods, and I split wood, and I burn it in my wood-burning stove. And i got to tell you, I'd start it up, but I think I'd set off the smoke alarms. This thing makes, makes a really nice cut. However, and I'm going to make this offer to all of you. No copay, no insurance. If you have a skin lesion, or you, some of you are saying, boy, Pastor Joe's really finally, it's, it's ministry's gotten to him. I'm making a mess, too. Um, no copay. Uh, you got a skin lesion? I'll for free. I'll take it out. A tumor. You might lose a leg or some fingers, but this is what I'm willing to do for you. Now, I don't see any any takers. Why? Because you care about your health. Well, God is saying, I want you to care about my word as much as you care about your health. You see, no nobody would take me up on that offer because it would be insanity. However, sometimes we're not discerning with what we read. Sometimes we're not discerning with what we see. And I'm not even talking about the world. If anyone throws a cross on it, we assume that it's fine. You know, any, any teaching, there's so many teachings out there, there's so many ministries. And as Christians, you know, we'll read a book of 350 pages. And there's like a three or four scriptures just thrown in there. And we, we love the book. Well, listen, I can take a few scriptures and give me a few hundred pages, and I can make those scriptures say anything I want them to say. We're not being discerning as believers. We need to be rightly dividing the word of truth. You understand? And the truth is found in his word. So that's something to, to really look at, because we wouldn't pick out surgeons the way we pick out Christian material. We would be crazy to do that. So the worker, the good worker, is someone who's really concerned about what they're doing. They're rightly dividing the word of truth. They're cutting straight lines, and they're looking for the truth. And we need to do that as well. And this was Paul's charge. He spoke about the junk that was going to get in the church in his day. And certainly we see it today. Savage wolves in Acts 20, he said, will rise up from not the world, but within the church. And will pull people away and draw many onto these weird doctrines. Something we need to be concerned about. Verse 16. You'd be surprised what I could hide behind this uh, pulpit. This thing is huge. You know? <laughs> Verse 16. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort. 
who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. This is also um, translated as godless chatter, which just increases to more ungodliness, which will spread like a cancer. Now, that word comes from the Greek word gangrena, where in the English we get the word gangrene from, you know, rotting or necrotic tissue, some condition that's causing a, a you know, necrotic condition in the tissue, and it starts to degrade while the person is alive. And if it's not amputated or seriously, aggressively dealt with, it'll spread to the body. Right, so that's, a, that's a, a major condition. What about spiritually? What are we concerned ourselves with? What are we concerned, and, and we should ask this question of ourselves, what am I involved in that could spread like a cancer? And what do I spend my time talking about? Do I have godless chatter? You know, maybe even some spurious doctrine which would certainly be contextual, or uh, just being critical of others. You know, things that are maybe going on even inside of the church that could spread like a cancer. Now, in this situation, these two, uh, I think they're probably gentlemen, I guess, guys, Hymenius and Philetus, they strayed from the truth, and they overthrowed the faith, overthrew the faith by saying that the resurrection is past. Well, isn't the resurrection of Jesus past in their time frame from where they were sitting? Yeah, but that's not what they're talking about. They're speaking about the resurrection to come, the resurrection of the saints, the harpazo, or the rapture as we know it. You see, eschatology, the study of end times, is very important. Immature believers, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, but they just don't know. They get scared. When some come through the church with some wacky doctrine, and I've seen it, the bigger the church, the more this stuff is hard to get out because it, it, there's like pockets of infestations of this stuff. All right. In the Thessalonian church, if you read 1 Thessalonians 4, the Apostle Paul had to deal with it. And 2 Thessalonians as well. There is a, uh, a teaching out there, it's called amillennialism. It's present uh, heavily in the uh, Acts 29, the hyper-Calvinistic movement that teaches there is no rapture. It's called, they call it escape theology. However, it's found in the scripture. You see, here's the problem when you go somewhere and they don't cover the entire Bible. I could make my life so much easier if today I spoke about love and next Sunday it was forgiveness and next Sunday it was, um, I don't know, you just name a subject, right? Uh, restoration. That's the easy way out. But when you go through the scripture line by line and verse by verse and precept by precept, you can't have pet doctrines. Verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So the solid foundation of God will stand regardless of the foolishness of man over the years. And he says, let all those that name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. I'm going to read to you, let's go back to Romans again. If you put your finger there, Romans... We were at Romans 6. Let's go to Romans 9, the precursor to what we just read. Starting with verse 19. Romans 5, 19. Yeah, 5. Romans 5, 19. Paul says, For as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Of course, he's speaking about Adam. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Of course, he's speaking about the last Adam or Jesus Christ. 
Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. That's impressive. Where do we get into Romans? This stuff will blow your doors off. I mean, you really will understand why you believe what you believe. And it's true. The more sin abounds, the more grace abounds. That's like, it's unbelievable. So the more we were rebellious and wicked and sinful and collectively as a world system, God said, you know what? I love them all. I want them all to be saved. Who thinks like that? But a a loving God. So when sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Even as believers, when we sin, grace abounds because of this forgiveness. Let's keep, keep going. Verse 21, so he says, So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember, there really wasn't supposed to be chapter delineations. They came later on. This is one complete thought. We'll continue. Uh, verse 1 in chapter 6, What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Well, some may look at that logically. Well, sure. (laughs) Sure. There's forgiveness and God loves me. And gee, now I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. And I can do whatever I want because God's just going to forgive me. Continue. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Ouch. Romans is powerful. Why would we want to do that? You know, why we want to do that if it hurts God? We wouldn't. So there's a solid foundation, and we need to really understand some of these uh, teachings in here. Some will continue, and, and I've heard this. They'll flee to a church, maybe that's really huge, so they can kind of hide in it, and they'll say, I like it. You know, there's no accountability. There's no, um, you know, people don't know what I'm doing, and I like that. I continue in my compromised lifestyle. But that shouldn't be the purpose. The purpose should be to to be discipled and disciplined by the scripture. Verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So the sixth illustration is a vessel. In a great house, there are different vessels, different things that hold stuff. Right? Some are prepared for honor and some for dishonor. Now, if you were in one of these really old, and, and in that time, your vessel of maybe a very costly perfume would be in a beautiful vessel, maybe of gold or alabaster or something that would hold this perfume or a special oil. You know, you would have a container that was maybe didn't break so easy, that, that would hold that precious oil. Now, I have to tell you this, that before plumbing as we know it, there were also, it's like Sesame Street, what's he going to pull out next? This is an antique chamber pot. (laughs) How many of you know what a chamber pot is used for? Right. So before, it is empty. (laughs) Before plumbing as we know it, you would keep this in your bedroom, and for whatever reason, if you couldn't get outside to the outhouse or whatever, you would relieve yourself in this pot, and in the morning, you would use this pot, and you would dump it outside. This is a vessel for dishonor, right? So you have your vessels of honor and your vessels of dishonor. I can tell you the truth, I don't want to be this in a spiritual sense. So go home and chainsaws and chamber uh, chamber pots. That's it. Five-point Calvinism teaches that we have very little choice when it comes to spiritual matters. But the Bible tells us something different. 
When we covered 1 Timothy 4, he said some will depart from the faith in the latter days. And I spoke to you about how it was reflexive. So if I say I washed myself, that's reflexive. I did it to myself. In the Greek, there's also reflexive uh, grammatical structures. So some will remove themselves from the faith. That's just a, a fact. But the Holy Spirit was, was telling him this. In this scripture, there's another conditional statement where he speaks about if anyone cleanses himself, another reflexive statement. So we do, actually, we can change things about our lives. We don't have to sit and wallow and say, oh, the devil made me do it. I have a demon of lust or a demon of alcohol or, you know, this, that's weird. That's not scriptural. That's just an excuse to not to fix things in your life where God wants us to. He gave us a big brain. We should use it. He urges us to do it ourselves, to depart from iniquity and go from a dishonorable vessel to a vessel of honor. And I believe we can do that, everyone in this room. We don't have to sit and look at our past. We don't have to look at what we came from. We don't have to look at what we did in life. Well, Pastor Joe, you don't know my story. God knows your story, and he still offers forgiveness. He still offers you the ability to change your ways. Sometimes we, we beat ourselves up so much that we don't even have to worry about someone else doing it to us. We do it to ourselves. Right? But God says, you can be a vessel of honor. Right? I can use you. You know, I'm just going to say this. Um, there is, there's, when, when we go through the scripture verse by verse, there's no fence sitting. There's no opportunity to be really lackadaisical about what we believe. Now, sometimes, again, some have the belief that, well, I, I, hell is scary to me. Heaven is awesome to me. And I just want to get to God's heaven. But sometimes in the mindset is I want to get to God's heaven, but I really kind of want to, don't want to deal with him that much. And that's weird. I'll make the analogy of a person who's poor, dirt poor. And they find a, another person who's very wealthy. And they say, I really want to get out of my situation of poverty. And that person has a nice house and I'd be taken care of for the rest of my life. Now these, of course, this doesn't happen all the time, but I'm just giving you a, a, a spiritual par parallel. When we just want God for his heaven and we don't want him, we're like that person that marries for money. We're gold diggers. We just want his heaven. So I want to encourage you all, encourage you all today that God is awesome. It's a great relationship between us and God. We're m completely missing out if we think we just want to barely get to heaven. So I want to encourage you with that. Verse 22. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Okay, we going through process of elimination and looking at the timeline. Um, it's, it's believed that Timothy was in his late 30s. I consider that young. Uh, so... <laughs> In 1 Corinthians, he also says, if you burn with passion, then it's better to marry. If you're in a relationship and you're burning with passion, then just get married. That's the right thing to do. So uh, speaking to Timothy, I don't know if Timothy ever took a wife. I don't know if he ever dated. I don't, we don't really know that stuff. But he's just given him some good, solid instructions. Flee these things, but pursue these things. And we've seen that a few times in the scripture. Uh, flee youthful lust, but pursue righteousness. Those who live by faith are justified. We are made righteous. Pursue that. Faith, believing in God. God loves it when we believe he can do great things. Love, 
motivating factor uh, in everything that we do. It should be, because it was for God. Peace, certainly peace. Romans 5 tells us that we, through Christ, we, we have peace with God. But we also want to be at peace with others around us as well. And those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Timothy, if you're going to pay attention, if you're going to disciple, if you're going to look for those to pour into, find those that call on the name of the Lord with a pure heart. That they're just not in the Christian culture. That they're there because they desire the deeper things of the Lord. Those are the ones, Timothy, you need to pour into. Last few verses. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So the last example, the seventh, is that of a servant. Correcting those in opposition and uh, you know, to make sure that God's word is important, uh, to keep those who are in error uh, back on the right track if possible. Um, and these are all the things he wants them to do. Now look at some of this imagery, to repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. So if we willfully stay in ignorance because we like a particular doctrine because it fits our particular lifestyle and we know better, that's sinful. He says repent of that. Because you know what we're doing? We're misrepresenting God when as believers we purposely sit there in a certain place and we should know better. And maybe we're furthering some certain doctrine that we shouldn't be. That's sinful. We need to repent because we're, we're, we're representing God when we call ourselves Christians. Uh, two, to come to their senses and not be blinded or deafened from the truth spiritually. To escape the snare or the trap of the devil. And he wants us all to live in foolishness. And he wants us all to misrepresent God. Uh, four, not to do the will of the devil. And de facto we are by propagating this stuff. And five, ultimately restoration. Are we faithful? Oh, in closing, I sometimes meet those that say to themselves, they distinguish themselves by those Christians. Those Christians. I'm not like those Christians. Maybe saying, in a sense, to me, I'm not dedicated or I don't want to sacrifice or I like where I'm at right now and I don't want to change. According to God, there is only one type of believer. It's the one that follows him and his truths. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul uh, uses the words endure three times, compete two times, train, hard work, diligence, and suffer. Now, some don't mind training for boot camp. Some don't mind farming and breaking up the ground and doing hard work. Some don't mind uh, training hard for an athletic event, but they don't put at least the same amount of effort into the things of God. So we're either serious or we're not serious. The problem with Western Christianity is there is so much compromise. There is so much love of the world, love of money. There is so much of the thorns that choke out a lot here because we're in the land of opportunity that we look around and we think that's normal and I can just be a part of it. But it's compromise. It's compromised. It seems normal. And that's alarming for those of us here. Now, I want to encourage you. Again, if this is your sermon to hear, to say, you know what? I, I want to be challenged. You know, I want to challenge myself to do these things. I'm, I'm reading what God's word uh, says. And wow, you mean the gifts of the Holy Spirit are, are really available today? Yes. 
You mean that God can use me to save souls? God can use me um, for different things? Or maybe I don't even know what God's going to use me for, but I'm willing to give it a try. And the answer is yes, yes, yes. So my desire is that we're encouraged and that we're challenged by the word. That we look at our Super Bowl games and parties and we look at our promotions and we look at our training. But we also look at where's my effort when it comes to the things of the Lord. My desire is that we are uh, motivated and encouraged to be stimulated to change and starting with salvation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that there's some portions that are really uh, in, just encouraging and, and they lift us up. And then there's other portions that are convicting. But you don't allow us to be convicted to hurt our feelings. You allow us to be convicted so that we can grow.